0: Section 9 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee book six chapter eight part four defense when the accused denied the charge was practically limited to tachas and abonos the former being the disabling of witnesses by proving enmity or other disability the latter being the accumulation of evidence to prove good character and assiduous religious observance the interrogatorio de indirectas to secure testimony disproving or explaining away specific accusations was occasionally employed and sometimes flaws or contradictions in the incriminating evidence were exposed or an alibi might be proved when time and place were specified in the publication but these cases were exceptional in the great mass of trials on serious charges no attempt at defence was made except by tachas and abonos to the latter little attention was usually vouchsafed and the struggle as a rule was over the former in this the defense was heavily handicapped by the suppression of witnesses names and the garbling of evidence in the publication to protect them from recognition while occasionally the accused could identify one or two in general he could only grope blindly and indicate persons with whom he had quarreled in the desperate hope that they might chance to be those who had given damaging testimony slender as was the prospect of accomplishing this it was rendered additionally difficult by the obstructions placed in the way of his obtaining and presenting his evidence he was permitted only to furnish the names of those whom he suspected with a list of the witnesses on whom he relied to prove enmity and a series of questions to be put to the latter who during the years of his incarceration might have died or disappeared we have seen how rigid were the qualifications exacted of witnesses for the defence so that the inquisitor exercised his discretion as to whom he would admit nor was he bound to put any interrogations which he deemed irrelevant or of which he disapproved indeed it was held to be the duty of the inquisitor to expurgate the interrogatories and if in those of tachas there was anything affecting the reputation of a married woman or the limpieza of a family it was to be struck out the whole matter was absolutely in his hands, and he could even refuse to admit the prisoner to any defense, as in the case of Martin de Jaén, a Morisco, burnt in the Toledo auto de fe of 1606, or Manuel de Mesones, penanced in that of 1610, on the ground that what they asked for was unnecessary or irrelevant when defense was permitted neither the accused nor his advocate had the privilege of examining such witnesses as were admitted or of drawing forth all that they might have to tell if they were residents of the city the inquisitor would summon them if at a distance the interrogatories were sent to a commissioner the witness to each bald question would answer yes or no or perhaps might give some vague details or say that he knew nothing and there the taking of testimony ended if inquiries were directed against parties who had not testified they were generally suppressed Although the instructions were to investigate them also, in order more perfectly to keep the accused in the dark, and it was also suggested that they be examined personally because, as enemies, they might have additional damaging testimony to give. When the witnesses for the defense, as frequently happened, were widely scattered, all these consumed considerable time during which the prisoner in his cell was gnawing his heart in suspense and when it was finished he was brought into the audience chamber curtly informed that what he had requested had been duly attended to and asked if he had anything more to say under the instructions of fifteen sixty one the results of the interrogations were carefully withheld from him as we have seen above volume two page five hundred forty three in this system in which the burden of proof was thrown upon the accused while he was crippled in every way as to the means of proving innocence injustice could only be averted by judges acting virtually as counsel for the defence in place of which they habitually served as parties to the prosecution how it worked can best be understood by a few instances, with varying results. In 1494, Diego Sanchez of Zamora was prosecuted for Judaism in the tribunal of Toledo. He had been trained from his fourteenth year in the cathedral, where he had risen, twenty years before, to the position of organist and beneficiary there were but two witnesses against him pedro de toledo a chaplain of the archbishop who testified to seeing him eat squabs on a saturday and eggs in lent and remove fat from meat the other was maria de santa cruz a servant girl burnt for heresy who on her way to the Cuemadero, being urged to clear her conscience by denouncing her accomplices said that once when he was sick his father told him that he would not get well unless he sent some oil to the synagogue whereupon he sent both oil and candles she was beyond the reach of vengeance but as usual her name and the circumstances were suppressed there is grim comedy in the efforts made by sanchez and his advocate to unravel this story they repeatedly requested the dead witness to be recalled and re-examined and to have the date fixed for sanchez had once been delirious for some days and it might have occurred then a formal series of interrogatories was drawn up to be put to her and eight witnesses were to be examined to prove the truth of the delirium all of which the inquisitors met with profound silence then in hopes of discovering all possible enemies who might have testified a long series of quarrels was detailed which he had had with members of his family and others in this he chanced to stumble upon maria de la cruz who had been his servant but was a thief and becoming pregnant had accused the man-servant of his as the father he dismissed them both but took back the man the girl fell into evil courses and was scourged through the streets which she attributed to him and repeatedly threatened revenge he failed to identify pedro de toledo but he proved an irreproachable career in the cathedral for twenty five years and he escaped with abjuration de levy and suspension for a year from celebrating mass enough to dishonor him this hopeless floundering in the effort to rebut evidence of which the source was so carefully concealed appears still more strongly in the case of diego de Uceda in fifteen twenty eight before the same tribunal on a charge of lutheranism founded on a chance talk with a stranger at cerezo while travelling from burgos to cordova the suppression of time and place and of details in the publication threw him on a false scent and he imagined the accusation to have arisen from a conversation some nights later at guadarrama with the archpriest of arjona and all his energies were wasted on the attempt to prove that the latter talk was blameless leaving the real testimony against him uncontroverted it was a game at cross purposes in which the inquisitors allowed him to entangle himself hopelessly incidentally the record affords a vivid picture of the agony of suspense endured by the prisoner in his cell during the inevitable delays arising from the method of procedure he was chamberlain of fernando de cordova clavero or treasurer of the order of calatrava as such he had followed the court and his witnesses in abono were necessarily scattered six months were consumed in finding them and securing their testimony during which he sought repeated audiences imploring the inquisitors for the love of god to dispatch his case at one time a second messenger was sent at his expense to burgos and to valladolid with long instructions and he counted the days that it would take at ten leagues a day the customary allowance for foot couriers at last he was summoned to an audience and told that all his witnesses save four had been examined and he could name others in their place this he declined he had produced ample testimony as to character but of course had failed to rebut the evidence of the unknown witnesses who had denounced him as we have already seen he was tortured confessed and revoked and was sentenced to appear in an auto de fe to abjure the vehementi with a fine of sixty ducats and some spiritual penances leaving him a dishonored and ruined man for a few careless words to a stranger it is to the credit of the tribunals that they seem generally ready to make all effort necessary to obtain the testimony of the witnesses whom they admitted in fifteen seventy three the suprema orders the barcelona tribunal to advise a french prisoner so that he could procure from the king of france a safe-conduct for the persons whom he sends thither to procure evidence for him and the receiver is instructed to pay sixty-four ducats for the expenses of the commission of course out of the sequestrated property in sixteen eighty two in the trial at barcelona of margarita altamira a worthless woman she named as a witness a day laborer whom she knew only as isidro he was hunted for in the city without success and efforts were made to trace him in cardona an isidro giralt was found and examined but proved not to be the man then it was thought that he might be somewhere in the parish of maya and the commissioner of solsona was ordered to find him and send him and his wife to barcelona but the search was vain and no one of the name could be found there margarita was then asked if she could give any further indications to aid in finding him she thought that perhaps maria barranco might know something but on investigation maria was found to be dead then she mentioned other witnesses who could testify to her good character, and they were duly summoned and interrogated. All this was as it should be, but it depended on the temper of the tribunal, and the prisoner had no power to help himself. This customary defense of disabling the witnesses for enmity, although it was mostly blind groping to identify them was sometimes successful the most extensive use of the tacha that i have met occurs in the toledo case of gaspar toralba in fifteen thirty one his prosecution for lutheranism was merely an effort to get rid of a troublesome and truculent neighbor in the little village of Bayona near chimchon there were thirty five witnesses against him for he was generally hated and feared in his defense he enumerated no less than a hundred and fifty two persons including his wife and daughter as his mortal enemies and he gave the reason in each case which amply justified their enmity in this comprehensive dragnet he succeeded in catching nearly all of the adverse witnesses and in addition he adduced abonos and indirectas to prove his orthodoxy and regular religious observance the tribunal evidently recognized the nature of the accusation he was admitted to bail july one fifteen thirty two and finally escaped with a moderate penance life must have been scarce worth living in Bayona when he was let loose at Valencia, in 1604, there was quite a group of cases showing successful disabling of witnesses among moriscos. Gaspar Alcadi, accused by two women of saying that he did not believe in Christianity, identified them and proved enmity so that his case was suspended. One woman accused two men, Vicente Sabdon and Faye Vicente, and three women angela bastant angela barday and heronima alamin but they all succeeded in fastening it upon her and showing her hostility with the result of a suspension of prosecutions in sixteen o seven there were several more cases of the same kind a still more striking instance occurred in sixteen fifty eight at valladolid when a dissolute woman accused three men and thirteen women of sanabria as judaizers they seem to have found little difficulty in identifying and disabling her and were all acquitted february one sixteen fifty nine in general however the records show that the main recourse of the accused in seeking to identify and disable witnesses for enmity was rarely successful after the wholesale forcible conversions of jews and moors a defence was sometimes advanced by the accused that he was not baptized and consequently not a christian nor subject to the jurisdiction of the inquisition there were subtle questions involved in this on which theologians were not wholly in accord but in practice the main point turned on whether the fiscal was obliged to prove the baptism against this was urged a decree of paul the fourth in fifteen fifty six when some portuguese in italy defended themselves with this plea and he ordered the prosecutions to proceed on the ground that if they had not been baptized they would not have been tolerated in portugal an old inquisitor about sixteen forty says that in saragossa he had a case of Morisco who advanced such a plea and on examination of his parish registers no record of his baptism could be found although there were those of his elder and younger brother in spite of this on the strength of the papal decision the prosecution went on and his sentence of reconciliation was confirmed by the suprema in all this the function of the advocate was reduced to a minimum he was to make no suggestions to his client except to confess he was not to advise him to disable any of the witnesses or to name witnesses of his own his sole duty we are told was to abandon a pertinacious heretic and to admonish a christian to tell the truth if he chanced to gain outside information, he was not to communicate it to the prisoner, but to the inquisitors, and if any friend or kinsman spoke to him about the case, he was to say that he knew nothing of it. So, in the written defense which he was required to present, he could use no information of his own, for the accused alone could state fact and the advocate could only set them forth he could receive nothing from the prisoner or his friends even after the case was ended the tribunal fixed his fee which was paid to him by the receiver under such circumstances the argument which he would frame was not likely to be of any benefit to his client if he were young bright and ambitious he might endeavor to impress the tribunal with his ability although the strict secrecy imposed deprived him of the incentive which publicity would give for the most part however he would discharge his nominal duties with as little waste of energy as possible he had nothing to gain by zeal and would be careful not to offend the inquisitors and fiscal on whom he was dependent while therefore we occasionally meet with a careful and well-reasoned argument presenting the case of the accused in the most favorable light and pointing out the irregularities and illegality and weakness of the evidence in general the defense is perfunctory of no real service to the accused while ostensibly giving him the benefit of defence by a trained lawyer and enabling the tribunal to overrule what might be alleged in his favour meanwhile at each stage of the case the accused was subjected to searching examination by rule this had to be conducted by the inquisitors and if there were two both were required to be present as the suprema declared about fifteen twenty this was necessary to enable them to vote intelligently the fiscal very properly was not allowed to be present and the notaries or secretaries were ordered to confine themselves to their duties in recording and not to interpose questions the general instructions for these examinations are praiseworthy in fifteen eighteen the suprema ordered the avoidance of superfluous questioning as it might lead the accused to contradict himself through ignorance and in fifteen twenty nine as the result of a visitation of saragossa it rebuked the inquisitors for asking irrelevant questions instead of confining themselves to the subject-matter as required by the instructions the questions were to be clearly and intelligibly put and the accused was to answer them categorically yes or no he was not to be deceived or misled by being made to believe that there was evidence where none existed nor was he to be questioned about accomplices unless there were sufficient indications concerning them unlike the medieval inquisition where every kind of deceit was allowed to entrap the accused into compromising himself the final rules formally expressed by pablo garcia were that the inquisitors must carefully abstain from interrogating the prisoner about matters not included or indicated in the evidence and from leading him to believe that mere suspicions were knowledge founded on proof yet with marked inconsistency the munitions with which the trials opened assumed as we have seen the guilt of the prisoner that ample information existed of it and that his confession was wanted for his own salvation as a rule in these earlier audiences no questions were put except to ask the accused what he had remembered and he was left to spontaneous confession without a guide as to what was expected of him sometimes however in the later periods a special audiencia de preguntas was ordered which might last for several days as in the case of beatriz lopez at valladolid in 1697. ordinarily the real examinations began when the accused answered to the accusation and were continued after his replies to the publication at any time moreover, if he made admissions or a partial confession the opportunity was taken by skilful questioning to bring him step by step to full acknowledgment of his offences in these leading questions were forbidden all examinations were to be searching and thorough and in sixteen fifty four the suprema complained that many crimes remained unpunished because of the carelessness and looseness with which this duty was performed inquisitors in general were therefore instructed to repeat their questions again and again until every detail of time place and circumstance was ascertained End of Section 9 Recording by Shanna Sayre Fresno, California